imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Father, we are grateful for what this day means to our faith And we are thankful that what we celebrate today, we celebrate every day. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ doesn't flow to us, through us one day. It's every day. And so we ask you to come this morning. Do work in us, Father, this morning. Change us, transform us in just as a radical way as you transform this leper. Do it in a way that you alone receive the glory and honor. And we make much of you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we've been walking through Mark since early February. This first Gospel account of the life and work of Jesus, we've already had our minds blown by what Mark has said about this man, who he is and what he's come to do, and by what this man, Jesus, has begun to do. Just alone in chapter 1, Jesus has demonstrated his divine nature, his kingly nature, and his complete uniqueness as Jesus Christ. As one author, he put it like this, In Jesus Christ we see virtues combined that never anywhere else are combined. We see tenderness without weakness, strength without a milligram of harshness, humility without one ounce of uncertainty. You see unbending convictions and yet complete and utter approachability. You see power without the slightest insensitivity. You see passion without the slightest prejudice. You see total integrity without any rigidity. Never unthinking, never a false word, never a misstep. What is that? Absolute beauty. And in this text, Jesus takes it to another level. Like, we're going to keep saying that every week we walk through Mark. Wait till this week. Wait till you see what he did today. And so it begins with this desperate situation in verse 40. Just where it says, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. How much interaction has anyone here had with a leper or a leper colony? I doubt very little, if any at all. If someone walked up to you, though, a friend of yours, they obviously are sick. You know they're sick. They're visibly sick. They come to your house, and they tell you, I've just been to the doctor, and the doctor's diagnosed me with Ebola. What would you say to them? Please leave now. Get out of my house. I don't care how much I love you. You have a very contagious, deadly disease. I don't want you around or maybe like the, the bird flu of the early 2000s or the, the swine flu where there was quarantines around airports around, around the world or, or it was AIDS in the early 80s and, and late, in early 90s and late 80s. Even today, you fly into some countries like Nicaragua and you get off the plane and they have uh, body scanners that are measuring the temperature of your body that if you have an elevated temperature at all, they're going to quarantine you and pull you aside just in case you're bringing a sickness into the country that could just unle- be unleashed upon their people. And so they tell us to take Tylenol for a couple of hours before we get off the plane so that we can mask our sickness and get through the government scanners. Leprosy, these situations just begin to hint at what the word leper meant in the days of Jesus. Leprosy among the Jews had long been a part of their life, going all the way back to the days 
of the law. Leviticus 13 and 14, two chapters in the Old Testament. If you're reading the Bible through this year, you probably have already gone through those chapters and you're reading it, you're like, why am I reading this? But it was really important to the, the people of God early in their existence as a people of God to be able to exist as a community and be healthy as a community and protect each other as a community. And you have these interesting instructions in these two chapters. It kind of reads like a medical journal combined with religious instructions. Leviticus 13 as an example. When a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch. Um, and a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there's no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is no yellow hair and the itch appears to be no deeper than skin, then he shall shave himself. But if the itch, he shall not say, shave. And the priest shall shut him up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. If the itch is not spread in the skin, it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after the cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch is spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair. He is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and the black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean. And the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's a whole chapter. Yeah. It's a whole chapter of that. Because they, they, they couldn't distinguish in, in ancient times between is this just a skin irritation, a rash, or some minor temporary problem, or is this the feared leprosy, like a really serious disease? And so the people would come before the priest and have their skin examined to be shut up and quarantined for a while until they could determine what it was, how serious the situation was. Now, if it was genuine leprosy, what we call today Hansen's disease, no relation to the musical group, I'm sure, then there was no hope, there was no cure, there was no cleansing, total rejection. The World Health Organization reports that today there are about 300,000 cases of leprosy worldwide that is treated much easier today than it was. But 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, leprosy was a death sentence. A death sentence. Hansen's disease is a bacterial infection that attacks the nervous system, essentially rendering the victim numb from sensation and feeling. The things that we take for granted, you touch something hot, you automatically pull away. You touch something sharp, you automatically pull away. The things that, that happen all the time, you're cold, you put clothes on, a leper doesn't have that ability. People who have studied lepers and have written accounts about lepers that have these sensations that are inhibited Stories have been told of lepers in the last century who would literally rub a hole in their skin down to the bone, lose fingers, toes, hands, and feet, catching themselves on fire, not even knowing it. Lepers would literally have parts of their body chewed off at night by rats and wake up in the morning and be unaware. Dr. Paul Brand, who's done research among leper colonies, says that you would visit leper colonies and they'd be missing nose, fingers, toes, hands, appendages because they couldn't feel. They can't feel. It's a horrible disease. Over time, the leper's body would lose its ability to defend itself against any kind of bacteria or sickness, and they would mercifully, mercifully die. And that is not the worst of it. That's not the worst part of it. In Jesus' day, there was total separation from this person from all aspects of society. You get contracted with genuine leprosy, no family, no job, no work, no social interaction with anybody. You, you're cut off from the temple. So in the Judaism, there's no access to God. 
There's no forgiveness for your sins. There's no relationship with people or your God. You had to tear your clothes in such a way so that anyone who would see you from a distance would know that you're a leper. It's this incredible stigmatism. They could no longer uh, offer sacrifices. Some rabbis wrote that a leper could get no closer than 50 paces if you were downwind of them. I even read that if you're standing under a tree and a leper walks into the shade of the tree, you are unclean. Just from them sharing the same shade of the same tree. Death in the Bible is essentially separation, and a leper had been separated, cut off from all aspects of society. They were essentially dead while still being alive. The man, this man, was a dead man walking. Which is exactly the same way the Bible describes our spiritual condition before Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As desperate as the leper was in his physical condition, so desperate we are in our spiritual condition. Bible commentators for years have made this comparison between the physical condition of leprosy and the spiritual condition of our sin nature. James shows us the destructive path of sin. James 1, 13-15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth, brings forth death. Temptation, desire, sin, death. That's the path. We are born with this innate desire to sin. We are born with a bent toward rebellion. Just have a kid, raise a kid, and it's obvious. As we grow, as we continue to feed that sinful nature through more selfishness and more sin, we become more and more numb to the destruction that we are causing on ourselves. Like no one wakes up one day and, go murder, and just goes murder somebody, kill somebody. Hatred had been building in their heart for years that allowed them to unleash that anger on an individual or groups of individuals because they hated people in general. Every, every couple I've talked to in premarital counseling over the years, I've, I've told them all, like nobody stands before their family and God and says, I do, with a plan to divorce in the back of their mind. Nobody gets married with a plan to divorce. What happens is two selfish sinners get married and bricks of selfishness and sin begin to be built, built between them, building a wall between them until a day that it's, it, that it's easier to run away from the relationship than it is to tear down the wall. It's progressive over time. Sin numbs us. Sin builds. Sin eventually destroys us. Just like leprosy does to the body. Sin destroys us from the inside out. And every single one of us in this room have this propensity and tendency. We're all selfish. We all struggle with worshiping the creation and not the creator. We all fail to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are all in a desperate situation, much more desperate than we realize because we are experts at masking our desperate situation. We cover it up with success, with entertainment, with food, with drink. We cover it up with religious works so that we no longer see ourselves as sinners only deserving the wrath of God in desperate need of His grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We see ourselves as pretty good people. 
Certainly better than them, whoever them is. And all the while, we are dying on the inside. If we could see our true spiritual condition in light of God's word and God's holiness, our true spiritual condition apart from Jesus, we would recoil in horror the same way a leper would when they came to realize that they had leprosy. And maybe by God's grace, we would do what this leper does. And our response would be to run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, the only one who can fix what is truly broken in us. Which is what makes this story even more shocking. This leper runs to this Jewish rabbi. Lepers don't run into groups of people. They don't do it. They've got to stay 50 yards downwind. They, they have to yell out to people, unclean, unclean, if somebody approaches them. They have to tear their clothes and people stay away. Yet this man in desperation runs to Jesus. Could be punishable by death, stoning, but obviously something in him. He had heard a word about a man who could do things that nobody had ever done had power that nobody had ever seen, had authority that nobody had ever uh, witnessed, represented in him. I've got to go to him. He's my last hope. And so he runs, risking a stoning, risking more rejection. He runs and he falls, and bursting out of his, his mouth is this incredible statement of faith. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I know you have the power. I have full faith in your power, but I don't know your will. If you're willing, make me clean. Clean. Leprosy wasn't just a physical ailment where the body needed to be healed. Leprosy carried religious and social connotations. So he doesn't just need his body physically fixed. He needs to be cleansed, declared clean by the local community so that he can enter back into his life. I want to be a new person, washed thoroughly the death that is on me. Notice that he is completely humble. He's making no demands on Jesus, which is truly the only way to come to Jesus for salvation. It's not, here is my life, Jesus, where can I fit you in, where it's most convenient, where it's least upsetting. It's, Jesus, you are the king of the universe. I fall before you making no demands. You make demands on me. And I'll obey by your grace. And I'll respond. I'm the desperate one. It's the difference, we get this analogy, it's the difference between Jesus being just another app in our life or Jesus being the operating system. Right? A lot of people treat Jesus as though he's just another app. We kind of pillow around with him, we go to him when we need him, when we want to know something, when we're desperate, we're hurting. Otherwise, he just kind of stays over there on the third or fourth screen. But Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the ruler of all creation. He is the operating system or he's nothing. He's everything or he's nothing. He's the center of all or he's nothing. He did not come just to be tacked onto our life where it's convenient. He came to be the king of our life, to rule our life. And so our only response is to fall before him and say, heal me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so this is what the leper does. Waiting probably for a few seconds, it felt like forever. How will this great man respond? 
It's with the same humility that we come to Jesus for salvation. Now, it's easy to say because we know the whole story. Most people in this room, you know the whole story of salvation. You know that God is working for our salvation. God is accomplishing our salvation. God is initiating, calling us to salvation long before we're ever born. God's predestined us before the world was created for salvation. And we know that. We love quoting Romans 8.30. Those he's predestined, he's called. Those he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, he's glorified. We love proclaiming the sovereignty of God of salvation. And, and we absolutely do that. We absolutely believe that. Nobody, there's no part of our salvation for which we take credit. Nobody will stand before God one day and say, look what I did. There's no songs being sung to us in eternity. It's all about Jesus. He's the grace giver. He gets the glory. But at the same time, For someone in the desperate situation of being dead in their sins, coming to realize they are a sinner who needs a Savior, they look to Jesus, the beautiful one, who willingly, lovingly gave his life for their sins. For that person to call out in repentance and faith, that is the gospel call. That is the gospel response. Yes, we know God's been at work to get to that point. But our responsibility, our privilege as followers of Jesus in this building every Sunday, in our lives every day, is to call people to respond in repentance and faith. To realize you are a sinner, to realize you need a Savior, to see that Jesus alone is the Savior of your sins. Jesus alone is your Redeemer. Repent, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is legitimately how we carry out our mission as a people of God. In other words, we call people to follow a man. We don't call people to salvation through a theological test. We call people to adhere and follow Jesus, not a theological system of beliefs. That is the gospel call. That is our mission as the church. And when anyone comes in repentance and humility before King and Savior Jesus, seeking forgiveness and redemption... So how does he respond? Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So as though the story isn't shocking enough, Jesus takes it to another level. He touches the man. When's the last time this guy had been touched? By another human being. Yet Jesus moved with pity, compassion. He does the unthinkable. This is not smart, Jesus. Don't you know he's got leprosy? Don't you know that he's unclean, so now you're going to be unclean? You're a respected, becoming famous Jewish rabbi. The people around you are not going to take well to this. Now you're going to start touching lepers? Like you don't, nobody does this. Who do you, who do you think you are? What is Jesus thinking? What Jesus is thinking about the leper. What the leper needs. He needs healing, cleansing. Yes, he needs love as well. Now, Jesus did not have to touch him to heal him. Like, we've already seen Jesus healing people by speaking words and demons coming out of people. And and we'll see this through the Gospel of Mark as we walk through it, that that Jesus never used just one method to heal people. The the point of Jesus' healings, whether he touched somebody, spoke to somebody, whether he was with somebody when he healed them, or they were at a distance he never saw them, the point of Jesus' healing methods was not the method, it was the man who had the power to heal any way he wanted to. Never about the method. If Jesus had used the same method to heal people, we would worship the method and be trying to replicate the method today. We we already do that. For all practical purposes, leprosy was a death sentence, and Jesus had just brought this man back from the dead. His life was completely, radically changed. 
And Jesus demonstrates his love by touching this man. This is why we exist as a church. This is why we exist as a church. To see people brought back from the dead. To see people completely, radically changed by Jesus as we saw demonstrated in the baptismal waters this morning. This is why we are here in this city. Because hundreds and thousands of people live in this city every day walking around in death. They don't look like it because they're funny and smart and cute and handsome and they're in shape. They take care of themselves. They're successful in their job. They've got a nice house, nice car. They've got cute kids. Maybe they're even on staff in a church, regularly attending church. But our city is filled with hundreds and thousands of people who are walking around dead. Not radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Radically giving their life for the good of others, for the glory of Christ. And we have been placed in this city to proclaim the gospel on Sundays. We sent out as missionaries into our local schools and businesses and and athletic clubs and and workout areas and and restaurants. and, And wherever we live, our neighborhoods, wherever we are, we have been sent out to proclaim the gospel to dead people. We continue to let ourselves preach in other churches when God opens those doors because we want to speak the gospel even to churches. We join with other churches who we don't agree with 100% in some ecumenical events because any time God gives us an opportunity to build relationships that allow us to share the gospel, we want people to see the beauty and joy of Jesus in his gospel. It's why we exist. It's why we do what we do so that all people can enjoy Christ by knowing him following him and being changed by his gospel so more and more people in our city can be transformed like this leper. FEMA and insurance can replace our stuff. Our community can rally and work together to help people and serve and give. But there's no organization, there's no community, there's no person who can change a dead man to a living man except for Jesus. And he is the message we proclaim. But then Jesus continues to show his compassion for the leper and that he and the leper actually switch places. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places and the people were coming to him from every quarter. With Jesus, who was quickly becoming a, a famous Jewish rabbi, well known in the community, with Jesus seemingly flaunting, dismissing the Old Testament commands like he just did by touching this leper. There could arouse the thought in some people's minds that this new rabbi who's doing things so radically, he doesn't care about the law. This is just so new, so different. Who cares about the Old Testament? Who cares about the rules? He's just kind of dismissing everything. He's doing his own thing. And, And this is Jesus, as he will many times throughout the Gospels, saying to the people, showing to the people, demonstrating he loves the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. No one is more passionate about the law than Jesus. If we ever say we're under grace, not under the law, so it doesn't matter what we do. We can just kind of do whatever we want because we have Jesus and we have grace. You are out of step with Jesus. Completely out of step with Jesus. 
Jesus fulfills the law. He gives the law its intended meaning. And he tells this man to go and show himself to a priest. Now, priests would serve in the temple and do the sacrifices when they had, they had different shifts throughout the year. They would serve their time. And then they would go back and live in local communities. So throughout this region, there would be a priest who lived in a home and, and did certain things, were taken care of by the, the priestly offerings. And, and they would be available to the people if they had a situation like this where they needed to, to declare that a leper had been cleansed. And so that's what Jesus tells this man to go and do. Fulfill the law. Do what the law tells him to do. But then he gives him this strange command. See that you tell no one. Keep this quiet. Like, how is that possible? You've been separated from your family, from your job, from the temple for who knows how long. Judging by the desperation of this man, it could have been years. And all of a sudden you show back up. Whoa. Whoa. What are you doing here, Fred? We thought you were gone forever. We thought you were left to be banished, to die in the leper colonies. How can he possibly not speak about this? And so what we see here, and we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, this is one of the major themes of the Gospel of Mark. Some theologians call this the messianic secret, this, this constant thing where Jesus is telling demons to shut up, be quiet. Demons know who Jesus really is. Son of God. So Jesus, Jesus tells them, and he has command over them because he has command over all creation. He says, shut up, be quiet. And they don't, they don't tell him. And then he tells this leper, be quiet, don't tell anybody about this. What, what is this? We call this the messianic secret, where Jesus is not eager for his name and fame to spread too far and too fast. Now, this is all prior to the crucifixion resurrection. After the resurrection... Go everywhere and tell everyone who Jesus is. Don't hold back. It's not a secret anymore. But prior to the crucifixion resurrection, it would be very easy for Jesus to demonstrate power and authority, to have the Jews rally to him, for him to raise an army and march on Rome, and, and they wanted to. Like, this guy has true power. Let's follow him, make him king, follow him to Rome and overtake the Romans. But that's, that's not the kingdom Jesus came to initiate. It's a subversive kingdom. It's an inside-out kingdom. It's not an externally forced kingdom. And so keep it quiet so that I don't draw too much attention, the wrong kind of attention. I want people to not be amazed by my miracles and power. I want people to be amazed by the gospel that I'm proclaiming. To follow me for the right reasons. To love me for the right reasons. Not just because I'm filling their bellies with bread. Or because I'm healing them of their sickness and disease. But because they're willing to follow me as king and lord. They can already see who I really am. And so often in the Gospels, Jesus would shh, keep it quiet. He didn't want to turn his ministry into a circus. And even though that's what Jesus wanted, that's not what happened. Jesus, this guy couldn't help but share with anyone and everyone how his life had been changed by Jesus. It's the same thing that Lark did this morning. You see it throughout the Gospel in the New Testament. When you have met this man, you have truly met this man. He has changed you from the inside out. You can't help but talk about him with others. We all preach a gospel. We all preach good news. Like every single person in here. You hang around me, you know that you're going to hear about Jennifer. You know you're going to hear about Abigail and Grace, Sarah and Timothy. You're going to hear about Steph Curry and Golden State. You're going to hear about LSU. You're going to hear about the burgers at Burger Grind and the amazing onion rings they serve last Sunday. You're going to hear about golf or sports or, or the Sherlock, maybe the greatest show that's ever been created on Netflix. You're going to hear the gospel good news about something from me. And it's okay to talk about that. We all have those things that we like to talk about, right? 
But there's no news like the news about Jesus Christ. It is the good news. It is the gospel. Provided, of course, that there is a genuine, vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus, right? I mean, honestly, would that not be the only thing that would keep us from talking about Jesus? If their relationship, if your relationship wasn't vibrant or growing, otherwise it's just going to come out. I had lunch uh, this week with a guy whose eyes have been opened recently about the reality of Jesus and how Jesus changes his entire perspective on life. And he's beginning to see that as a father, as a husband, as an employer, as an employee, and the impact that he can not only make on his family, but the impact that he, the opportunity he has to make an impact in his business, his job. The hundreds of guys that work with him and the opportunities that God has already given him to speak about Jesus to these men that he works with. If there is a vibrant, real, genuine relationship with Jesus inside of you, it's just going to come out. It has to. It's the way he's designed us. It's the way he's created us. But this guy, babbling about Jesus, put Jesus in a predicament. Jesus had touched and healed this leper. Now everyone knows. And Jesus, who isn't ready to be coronated as Messiah or king by the Jews, has to withdraw. Not only that, but he appears now to his people to be religiously unclean because he touched a leper. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus did not contract leprosy. Jesus was not made unclean because he touched the leper. Like, where else does this happen in life? Usually, if the unclean touches the clean, the clean becomes unclean. The rotten apple and the bowl of apples doesn't become good. All the good apples become rotten. But when Jesus, who is the source of life, the source of grace, the source of purity and holiness and cleanliness, when he touches what is broken and impure and unclean, his energy, his life, his cleanliness surges forth and makes that thing holy and acceptable. And it doesn't change him at all. This leper, ostracized, dismissed from society with essentially a sentence of death, living alone, cut off from all human engagement, he comes to Jesus, the pure one, the undefiled one, the holy one, the one who's becoming more and more famous. He cries out for mercy and a cleansing, and Jesus freely, graciously, lovingly gives it. And now the leper is healed and clean. He's welcomed back into his life, and now his story is becoming famous. He can engage again with people, while Jesus takes his place in desolation and isolation, cut off from people. At the heart of the gospel we so love is this idea of substitution. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus substituting himself in our place. He perfectly lived the life that we should live and fail at every single day. And he died the death that we alone deserve to die. We alone deserve punishment, judgment, and hell. He absorbed God's wrath for us. So that not only did he pay for our sins, but we get credit for his perfect, righteous life. So that in God's eyes, we who are followers of Jesus, we who have received salvation, we are always always, always seen by God through Christ as holy, blameless, forgiven, 
cleansed, undefiled, new creations. On your worst day, that's how God sees you in Christ. On your best day, he doesn't love you anymore. You aren't more accepted by God through Christ. Because your acceptance and your standing before God is not based upon your performance, but it's based upon the performance of Christ. He did it all. It is finished. The grave, the tomb is empty. And we have standing before God in Christ that can never be taken away. That can never change. It's secure because Christ is secure. And that doesn't mean we then become lazy and do nothing. It then means we, our lives are unleashed for mission, unleashed for service, unleashed for sacrifice to proclaim the goodness of this Jesus who has so radically changed us and made us a new people. The leper was dead and is now alive because Jesus was willing to take his place. Jesus was willing to give his life in his place. And it's exactly the same for us today. We have life because Jesus has given his life. And this wasn't some ineffective sacrifice, good intentions by a good teacher. The tomb is empty. It worked. It is working. He won, so we win. Because he lives, we live. Now we get to go and make him famous because his life is in us. So a couple questions I put on the outline. For you to think about, talk about over lunch today or with your, your DNA groups, DNA groups or men with men, women with women who are discipling each other every week. Or maybe with your family, you have family devotionals this week. Number one, do you see the reality of sin in your heart and our desperate need of Jesus and his power every single day? Does that cause you to run from Jesus or run to Jesus? Number two, how often do you make more demands on Jesus and what you want him to be for you Versus humbly bowing before your king, asking him, whatever you will, I will do. Where is Jesus simply an app in your life? And where is he the operating system? Number three, have you been transformed from death to life by Jesus? Are you being changed by Jesus daily? Why or why not? And I'll give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Respond in repentance and faith in the one true King, Jesus Christ, and receive salvation and come alive in Christ. And if you want to know more about that, if you want to talk to somebody about that, I can say without a doubt, you can talk to just about anybody in this room over the age of maybe 16, and they can tell you the gospel. And they can explain to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You certainly can come to me or Kendrick, we'll be available, but there's a lot of people in this room who can explain the gospel to you. Well, let's go have lunch. Who cares if it's Easter Sunday? We'll take you out to eat. You can come over to my family's house and have ham brisket. And we'll talk about Jesus and the gospel. Right? Respond in taking communion with us. An ancient meal that visualizes the life, the death, the sacrifice of Jesus. And the way we do it here at the Crossing Church is after I finish in a few moments, we'll have a, a prayer that we read that allows us to reflect and think about where we are in our relationship with the Lord gives us time to repent and believe the gospel. And when you're ready, come forward, receive the bread, dip it in the cup, return to your seat. And then we'll share in that beautiful, joyful meal all together when it's time. Respond in giving. If you want to give the tithes and offerings, respond in song. Sing out. Make much of this Jesus that we have already sung about and heard about today. 
But don't leave here without having an encounter with Jesus that radically changes your life. Whether you're not a believer and Christ wants to make you alive today, or whether you are a believer and he wants to renew you, restore you, and refresh your relationship with him today. We were reading a devotional last night as a family. Uh, Behold, the King of Glory, which is a narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's great for the Easter season. And we read the account last night of the women who discovered the empty tomb of Christ and what it might have been like to be in their shoes. And, and here's part of that I want to share with you before I pray. This is from the perspective of Mary Magdalene. But what the angel told them as they viewed this empty tomb breathed life into the hope that all of humanity's frailty, brokenness, struggle, grief, and mourning may have a remedy. That mankind's ability to wound one another so deeply by their own sinfulness and their ability to absorb so much pain and grief from the sins of others may, in fact, be reversible. If what the angel told them was true, death had been beaten. This, the angel reminded them, had been Jesus' plan from the start. Everything happened exactly as he said it would, which meant that no one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord, and everything now was just as, it had, as he had said. If Jesus had risen, everything had changed. Mary Magdalene felt what all people feel in the grief of death. She did not want death to be the end. No one did. Deep within her lay the sense that death was an intruder. People were made to live and not die. If Jesus had overthrown the power of death itself, the curse have been reversed. Father, we cannot say thank you enough. Thank you enough for that reality. And that it's available in the same power, in the same presence, in the same intensity as it was to this leper on that day, that it's available to us today, every day, is mind-blowing. Father, we confess that we're so prone to only see the temporary, to only see the physical, to only see what's right in front of us. And this greater reality is out there. This life with you, this new existence, being a new creation. And I pray and ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall on this place this morning, on every single heart that's here. That we would be transformed by the presence and reality in the life of Jesus Christ. As we make much of him now through the communion, through singing, through giving, through prayers. Jesus, come. Come and do what only you can do. For your glory.